are listening to A State of the Union, estate planning made simple. Here's your host, Brad Wewell, from the Wewell Law Firm in Austin, Texas. Hi, this is Brad Wewell. This is the Estate of the Union. This is our podcast from Texas Trust Law, the Wewell Law Firm. And we love doing podcasts. We hope you enjoy watching them too. Uh, we have lots of podcasts already out there. I think we have nine episodes so far. This is going to be our 10th episode, and this may be our best episode. <coughs> we deal with clients all the time that have blended families. We deal with clients all the time that have come from blended families or that live either as a step-parent or as a spouse of somebody and they've been divorced, and it can be very, 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 very complex, of course. And so we thought, how can we help you understand the family law side of things, not just the estate law side, but the family <coughs> law side of things. And so we have brought uh, to uh, the estate of the union the most eminent, respected, well, pretty respected, Jimmy, I'll give you that. <laughs> uh, very respected. On a good day. <laughs> on a good day. Family lawyer in Austin, Texas, and this is Jimmy Vaught. And uh, welcome, Jimmy. Thank you, Brad. Good to be here. Great to have you. Jimmy is board certified in two areas of the law. I'm board certified in one, but Jimmy is he's a real go-getter. I'm board certified in estate plan and probate law. Jimmy's board certified in family law and also civil appellate law. He likes taking tests, let me assure you of that. <laughs> and uh, he's got a firm here uh, in Austin, and y'all do family law exclusively? Yes. All right. 24-7. There you go. Wow. <laughs> Okay, and I did family law for a while, and um, my wife decided that uh, after having a bypass operation, Jimmy at 43, <laughs> that I ought to do something else, and that's what got me into doing estate planning. But Jimmy and I uh, had a few cases together yep. against each other yep. uh, back in the day. We both had brown hair uh, back then. <laughs> All right. So Jimmy is, I'm going to ask Jimmy some questions about <coughs> how family law intersects sometimes with estate planning. <clears throat> And then if we have time, we're going to talk about some mistakes that people make in divorce and planning for divorce and kids stuff and custody stuff. We have time, child support stuff. But we're going to focus first on uh, the estate planning side. And Jimmy has been kind enough to prepare some questions for me. And he's got them in 16-point time, which I really appreciate, Jimmy. I can read them from here. <laughs> Uh, and so here's the first question, Jimmy. Does my will have to have my spouse as a beneficiary? In other words, do I have to make sure I leave my spouse money in my will? Well, well it's not required, but if, uh, let's say, for example, if a husband doesn't list his wife as beneficiary in the will, that's probably a per, uh, you know, the beginning of the end for as far as the relationship. Tell me about that. Sure. Well, I mean, you can list anybody, as Brad knows, you can list anybody as a, as a, as a, as a beneficiary in a will. Uh, you can live it to charity or anything else. But obviously, in a, in a you know, marriage relationship, uh, you know, I would normally think, I mean, I think that, you know, you'd want to name your spouse as a beneficiary under the will. We would almost always do that. I think the only time we wouldn't do that is if there's a very strong... <clears throat> prenup that they've come up with. This may be a later in life marriage where I'm leaving all to my kids, honey, and you're leaving all to your kids, honey. 
But I think the point that Jimmy's making, uh, folks, is that if you aren't going to, except in that very limited situation, yeah. if you aren't going to include your spouse as a beneficiary, then that says a lot about your relationship. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And you see, I mean, people come see you because the relationship is either broken or it's on life support. <laughs> That's a pretty good way to describe it, yes. All right. All right. All right. So, so one of the things that, uh, Jimmy, you wouldn't know this about our firm, but one of the things we don't do is we don't meet with spouses alone. We meet with them together sure. unless there's a prenup in place sure. for that very reason. And yeah. uh, I've seen it happen, and it's happened other places too, where in fact one spouse comes in and their sole intent is to, with all due respect, screw around the other spouse. Yeah. Um, and you see that in sure. the courtroom and all that too, and so we don't want to be part of that. Uh, if you're married, you got to bring your spouse uh, or you got to show us a, a valid prenup sure. that has separated things out, so, okay. And just, and the difference in family law is obviously you never meet with with with, with spouses. Right. And so, and sometimes people say, well, we, you know, we want you to do our divorce. I said, well, I can only represent one party. And so, uh, you know, so that actually, we're in a totally different situation there. Well, and it's, in fact, uh, Jimmy, I know people come in, oh, we had one lawyer that do that, did everything, and that's really, there is, the lawyer has to represent just one of them, right? Yes. And the other one's kind of, well, I'll pat you on the head and try to treat you well, but <laughs> that spouse is at risk. Yes. Okay, all right. Now, I mentioned prenups, and um, there is a myth out there, I think, and maybe it's not a myth, we'll ask Jimmy, about prenups. Um, the myth about prenups, I think, Jimmy, sure. is that they're not valid, that it can be busted, that the vast majority of them are busted, and so it's kind of a waste of money, waste of time. Is that true? Absolutely not. If you if you uh, if a prenup is done properly, uh, they're almost impossible to bust. Is that right? Yes. Okay. All right. So that leads to the question: uh, What does it mean to have a prenup that's done properly? Well, several things. Uh, basically. Um, and there needs to be a, a, a financial disclosure, and usually we do a waiver of financial disclosure that's signed before the people sign the prenup. And basically, uh, it's, it needs to be done voluntarily, but I will tell you, it, it voluntary almost means like holding a gun to your head. And so it's, it's almost impossible, if you do them correctly, to bust them. And both parties have separate lawyers? Well, they don't have to. Okay. Uh, one party, occasionally I've done them over the years, where one party didn't have a lawyer, right. which is, which is which is fine. Okay, uh, and so I mean, it's preferable for um, both both parties have lawyers. Sure, but it's not required. Okay, uh, and even I know there's sometimes there's a timing. People question the timing, right? Uh, and you know you can sign a prenup up until the day before the wedding. Okay, and uh, and even uh, there was a case where um, years ago where someone someone was, was questioning the, the prenup. And uh, you know, essentially, she was 40 years old. She was pregnant, and the, the, the fiance said, "Sign it, or we're not getting married tomorrow." Wow. And the court of appeals upheld it. Really? Yes. Because she was a mature woman. Well, it's part of that, but you know, she had a choice. She had a choice to either okay, either sign the prenup or not sign it and not get married. 
wow, that's really, really interesting. Yes. So they're much stronger than people would think yes. if they're done correctly, yes. ladies and gentlemen. So that's the thing. We see people, Jimmy, come in here. Oh, yeah, I got prenup. Okay. Uh, where is it? We can't find it. <laughs> can't find it. All right. It, that's, uh, that's not a well-done prenup. We can't find it. Uh, but we also get them in through legal Zoom. Yeah. And we get them in through, you know, somebody copying something someplace. What about those? You know, I mean, if they, if, if they can meet those those basic requirements, then they're enforceable. Okay. Uh, I had one case years ago where my guy came in, he has his prenup, and so I said, who, who did this? Well, you know, I copied the, uh, my friend who manages the Yellow Rose Strip Club had one, <laughs> and I copied his. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, by God, we got, we got upheld. Okay, well, yeah. all right. Well, and it takes a good lawyer to uphold them too, I would think. Yes. That's, that's another important piece of it, isn't it? Yes, yes. Got to, got to have somebody who knows how it works and the judges know how it works too and yep. all that too. Wow. The other thing too that I see occasionally is someone does a prenup in more of a state planning context yes. that doesn't include the things, for example, you know, income from separate properties, uh, separate property, you know, provisions about no alimony, right. provisions about no attorney's fees, uh, that are not, in my experience, aren't normally included in a, uh, a prenup for estate planning. Right, purchase. so one thing we don't do here, ladies and gentlemen, is we don't do prenups. Uh, we refer those out to family lawyers sure. because our theory is, and we get asked, can you do please do when? No, we don't because family lawyers are the ones who are going to have to defend this thing in court, and you know what will pass muster. And I don't have I have I have so much to know in what I do. I don't have time to learn what you do. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, you, and same way with us yeah, too. I'm sure. Absolutely. So we refer those out to family lawyers, and uh, and let them do their work on that. We do, and we'll talk about this here in a second, sure. Jimmy. We do here at the uh, Texas Trust Law, the We Will Law Firm. We do some post-up work, and uh, we'll talk about post-ups. Okay. Uh, let's talk about post-ups now. We're on prenups. Okay, sure. What's a post-up? Essentially, uh, a, a post-up is like a, a, a prenup but filed that's done after marriage. Uh, and so it's a little bit different animal. It's, it's, it's bad nose. Occasionally, I uh, did one not that long ago where, I, where, sometimes, where I see it a lot of times is people were like, we're going through a rocky period, and we kind of want to do kind of a financial divorce, so to speak, because it's split everything. Right. And that way it kind of takes some of the pressure off. But my experience is 99% of the time, it's shortly after that, one of the spouses is going to file for divorce. And if I can, because there's some deep-seated thing there. Yes, and so I had one not too long ago where the, the uh, both the parties kind of wanted to do it, and I was telling my client, I said, I represent the husband. I said, you know, I, I said, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that she's going to be filing for divorce here within three, three or four months, and of course that happened. <laughs> wow, sure. So um, we do them only in a limited context yeah. because we have people who come from another state. Sure. And uh, what you acquire in a non community property state is separate property and when you get here everybody thinks everything's they're married that it's community property but it's not community property yeah. what you brought in from New York 
or Illinois or Iowa is the separate property of that spouse. In, at death, it's different on divorce because you have quasi-community yeah. property, but yeah. we don't have that at death. So at death, it can really get jumbled as to what he have when he moved to Texas, what she have when they moved to Texas. It's expensive. It gets complex. It can really be a fight, again, in a blended family deal. So we can do one of two things. We can say, well, let's just make all your property community property. And if we make it all community property, then on the first death, the survivor gets uh, what's called a step-up in basis. And if they sell assets after the first death, they typically want it to pay capital gains taxes, which you know. Yes. Uh, and then sometimes we'll do what's called a partition agreement, which, again, you're familiar sure. with Jimmy, where instead of making it all community property, we'll make it all the separate property of each one. And these situations come up where, again, we talked about this a few seconds ago, where we have couples that uh, this is their later in life marriage. Mm -hmm. They both perhaps had spouses from the first marriage. They're both widows, widowers. And they want to make sure on their death, their assets go to their kids. Yeah. And on the other death, it goes to that other one's kids. And they really don't want to have any mixing. They'll probably, as you've seen, to a one joint account that they'll put stuff in. Sure. Uh, but they really want to keep this separate. And they each have enough money to support themselves. They don't have to rely on uh, the assets of either one to survive the rest yeah. of their lives. And so we'll do uh, a post-nup partition agreement, yeah. make this his separate, this hers separate, and then uh, get them on down the road. Yeah. But those are the only things we work on. And we only do these, again, after the marriage has what I would call seasoned, which is about <laughs> seven or ten years in, you know, because too early... You know, I mean, a lot of divorces happen early in the marriage, don't they? Yeah. So we wanted to make sure. Go ahead. Sure. No, I mean, it, I mean, marriages. They, you know, people ask me all you know, all the time, what? Why do people get divorced? Right. I, I, I don't have a clue. Okay. I, I mean, I'll be honest. It's a multitude of things. Sure. And sometimes you can't even figure <clears> out <throat> even when the parties come in. I'm asking myself, myself, my my inner my inner voice. Uh, it's like you know, why are these people get divorced? I mean, they're so amicable and everything like that. And uh, and then I have people who come in and kind of reduce a little fighting and they reconcile. And I'm thinking to myself in my, in my inside voice, it's like, they'll be back because this is not, <laughs> not going to work. Right. But, but, you know, that's not my job. My not job is not to tell someone to get divorced or stay together. And I use frequently tell clients that. It's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not pushing you one way or another. This is totally up to, up to you. Right. Right, right. Good. Uh, one thing I noticed on Jimmy and one on me, we wear wedding rings. Yeah. Right. A lot of guys don't. Yeah. A lot of guys don't. I wear my wedding ring just to, you know, kind of show people I'm married and happily married. And you married, happily married. And, uh, yes, I am. You know, uh, Wade's got his wedding ring on here. He's happily married. So, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, I think it's just another level of commitment uh, to yeah. do that, too. Okay. Um, let's talk about... Um, you're in the middle of divorce, so you got this this couple, Jimmy, and they're, of course, want to spread out and break up and do the divorce, and yet the divorce is pending, and one of them dies. What happens then? Well, essentially, um, it's as if the divorce wasn't filed, uh, hmm. and now if, if there's a, a will in place, then sure. that, that, would, that would kick in. But normally, we just file a suggestion of death, and uh, the divorce is ultimately dismissed. So it's as if they never, because they weren't divorced. That's right. So they're not, because in Texas, unlike some other states, you're either 
married or you're divorced. There's no legal separation or anything like that. So you're married until the judge signs, signs the divorce decree. So that has happened before and uh, several, uh, frankly, famous cases uh, out there about that. And this is something, again, ladies and gentlemen, that is very, very important. If you are getting divorced, yeah. you need to get at least a will. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And, you know, there is one minor exception to that. Okay. Uh, there was a case, actually came out of the, the Austin area, where the parties had gone to mediation. They had signed a mediated settlement agreement, which is sort of set in concrete their agreement. And then the husband drug things out, the wife passed away, and so the husband was saying, well, we're not divorced, so the mediated settlement agreement is no good. Uh, the, the Court of Appeals here in Austin uh, upheld the, the mediated settlement agreement and said that it, it was enforceable. Kind of a contract they made. Kind, kind of like a contract. And part of it, I think, you know, we always hear like bad facts make bad, bad law sometimes. In this case, quite frankly, the husband was a real schmuck. He drugged things out for months and months and months. And then ultimately, and then the wife. she was sick anyway, probably just waiting yeah. for that. And so, yeah, so uh, it's one of those things, like I said, kind of one of those kind of uh, axioms about bad, you know, bad facts make bad law. Bad that, facts do make bad and law. And that was probably a, a good example of that. Wow, yeah. wow, wow. So Jimmy has stories <laughs> as long as your arm. Um, so again, if you're heading into divorce, you need to get a will yeah. just to kind of, again, make sure. Now we get these, but, but there's a myth about wills and, and frankly, living trust. We do quite a few trusts yeah. around here too, Jimmy. In fact, we're changing our law firm from the We Will Law from the Texas Trust Law. Okay. Uh, kind of, We Will is hard to spell. So, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> on, on that end, anyway. Um, but but um, people um, that are, are get a will or get a trust think they're done, but then you have this whole other, really almost, in many cases, the larger assets are in IRAs or 401ks or yeah. life insurance, and those don't go through the will, and you have to change the beneficiary. So. One of the things that I want Jimmy to really educate us on today, ladies and gentlemen, are these things that you probably have never heard of, and they're called standing orders, all right? And Jimmy got me a question on standing yeah. orders here. And so, um, Jimmy, explain what a standing order is and when it would come to play. Okay. A standing order uh, is a, uh, it's attached to uh, every divorce case, every child custody case, uh, it's kind of like a, a temporary restraining order. And the, the whole idea is to maintain the status quo. It's, and so once, once you file your divorce decree, uh, sorry, your petition for divorce, this is attached to it and it comes into play automatically. And so it sort of, it sort of locks things down, maintains the status quo. Um, and it, but it, and it does prohibit a couple of things. One of which it prohibits changing the benefic, beneficiary designation in any life insurance policy, uh, which can be huge. Sure. And um, and also like any other kind of insurance policies, uh, including health and things like that. Good. So with a standing order, if I really wanted to, I was real mad at my wife, and I wanted to sneak out and sell the house. Could I sell the house if I, in the during the middle of the divorce with the standing order in place? No, and normally you can't sell it anyway because 
the, if it's homestead, both parties have to sign. And so it's okay. really hard. Okay. But I've seen a couple of cases over the years where she's the husband uh, who uh, you know, forges the wife's name on a deed. Wow, you've seen that? Yes. Hmm. So, hmm. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, it's just, it always just amazes me, mm -hmm. but, you know, it's absolutely, it does happen. Okay. So, I don't think this is in the standing order. I don't practice family law. Sure. What if I want to change the beneficiary on my IRA? Can I do that in the middle of a divorce with the standing order? You know, it's kind of vague on that, um, but it doesn't specifically talk about retirement plans. Right. But also, to change your, the beneficiary, or let's say on your IRA, it requires the consent of the spouse. Okay. And okay. so, uh, and if you're going through a divorce, that's probably not going to happen. Probably not going to happen. Probably not <laughs> and, happen. And I had a case not too, too long ago where <clears throat> the husband just changed it and you know, changed it from his the wife to his uh, to a relative, and he sort of got caught and had to kind of the company ultimately caught him and he had to like you know, undo it. Undo it. Yeah. Okay. Well, and that's the thing too, Jimmy. Um, again, back to my <clears throat> family law days way back when, but. When you're in or heading into a divorce, you want to look like the good person, don't you? Absolutely. Not the bad person, not the sneaky, slimy thing. And that seems like a slimy thing to do. Y yes. And I, I'll say it's, it's absolutely prohibited by federal law. And so, okay. Because right. so, right. I mean, you have to have the, the spouse's consent to change the beneficiary away from the spouse. Okay, all right, all right, good. And one thing that we do too is, um, I'll talk, jump about prenups. We always, always, we put in prenups about each of them kind of weighs their interest in the other person's retirement accounts. Uh, but we also do like a, a called a property agreement between spouses afterwards to reiterate the same thing about the retirement accounts. Because there's some, there's a split in law across the country about whether a non-spouse can waive rights uh, in a retirement account. And, and because when they send a prenup, they're not a spouse yet. Yes. Got it. And so, although there isn't, aren't any cases in, in Texas, but you always tell people, I don't want to be the test case, because uh, you know, no lawyer wants to be a test case for something. Right. Well, and that's, and that, again, that goes back to homemade prenups. Yes. Where they're not <clears> going to know to go back to court and do, or go back and, and sign off on another yeah. newspaper after marriage because the legal Zoom stuff doesn't say it and uh, the thing they got from the manager of the strip club didn't say it and so they, they just don't know how to do that. Yeah, And also too, I, I mean, you can also, uh, some of the, the business supply stores have like, what I always call a peanut in a box. Oh, sure. So I don't know if you've right. ever seen those. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> There's peanuts all over the internet for sure. Oh, yeah. And uh, so again, this goes back to doing a will, doing a trust. Yeah doing a prenup, doing your own divorce. You know, don't try this at home. Would that be a good, good rule? Yes, because when people, lay people, uh, they don't understand that there could be unintended consequences to whatever their agreement is. It may look perfectly fine to you know, someone who's not a lawyer, but most lawyers could, could look at it and say, well, you're gonna have a problem over here. And so have you thought about this, have you thought about that? Jimmy is board certified, I'm board certified. Yeah. I take, and lawyers here take, it's supposed to take 15 hours of continuing education. We all take yeah. about 25 or 30 or 40 or 50, depending yeah. on the year. You do yeah. too. Oh, yes. And this is just to keep up with this stuff, right? Yes. And so 
you as a person who's not a lawyer trying to do this on your own, from what you just read on the internet or what your friend's sister's cousin told you, <laughs> is fraught with danger and ultimately disaster. So be very careful. Now, I think one thing that would really be uh, helpful for uh, our listeners and viewers, Jimmy, of our podcast here, is tell a few things. Now, we're not absolutely going to promote divorce, and you don't promote divorce. I really yes. appreciate what Jimmy said. Yeah. He has to deal with the situation that's in front of him, and something's happened to bring somebody into his office. But once they're in your office, Jimmy, then the other side gets a lawyer almost always, and then you start this stuff called discovery where you try to find out what's going on with the other person. And what are some things, the stupid things that you've seen people do prior to divorce, the middle of divorce, that really can harm them um, themselves? Sure. Well, <clears throat> usually when people come in, I always ask them things about, you know, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, uh, domestic violence, or infidelity, because uh, I found out kind of the hard way over the years that if you don't ask someone, they don't volunteer it, okay. and then you find out about it during the middle of a hearing, uh, which, you know, no lawyer wants to be surprised during the middle of a hearing. Because you find out at the same time the judge is finding out. <clears throat> yeah, and then I'm That's usually having good. a little, a, a little uh, talk with them in the hall and a break. Uh, <laughs> right, right. right. Uh, but, you know, people do... Uh, all sorts of crazy things. I mean, and it's, it, it's even hard to even describe all of them. But Brad's right. I mean, normally, for example, once somebody files for divorce, um, I always tell people, you know, we need to figure out what y'all have, is it separate community, and how much is it worth? Even with the, even if you don't have discovery, you need that kind of information. So if you go to mediation or you, or you get into a settlement agreement, you want to have to kind of be, uh, have kind of informed about what's out there, uh, and it been in discovery. Um, <clears throat> it basically it's expensive, quite frankly, and you know it would you, you, you require to be turned over multiple, multiple pages of documents. You know, ask basically answer all sorts of written questions, uh, and it can be very, very expensive. And so, most cases, well, a multiple, uh, most of our cases, we try to avoid that. Uh, we may do something like um, exchange like spreadsheets in the last six or 12 months of bank statements or things like that. Okay. that so we can kind of do our due diligence. Uh, and, and also too, we always, we always, take the, always tell clients that when we do, you know, we want to start amicably uh, if we can. We can't always, because can't, if, if everybody gets along through this divorce, your costs are going to be a whole lot less. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And I always tell people, you know, we try to do it amply. We can't, we can't always do that, of course. And one and reason is, is it cuts down the drama. And drama's expensive, like, mm -hmm. like Brad said. It, keep, it kind of keeps the cost down. And also, we always tell people that, particularly when they have children, I mean, they're going to be co-parenting these children after the divorce and after, after we're long gone. We don't want to do anything uh, to make that any harder. Now, sometimes the parties make it harder but on themselves. Uh, but we don't want to be. We want the end of, end of the case for them to be able to effectively co-parent, uh, not necessarily that they're going to be friends or anything else. But we don't. We don't want to kind of make it worse. Uh, and there's, I mean, there's some lawyers 
uh, around who do kind of scorched earth right. approach. Right. And at the end of that case, those people would never be able to, to co-parent. They hate each other. Yes. One last thing, Jimmy. Sure. We've got about four or five minutes here. Uh, everybody uses social media. Yes. Okay. And I've heard you talk about social media yeah. and things that you've seen stupid things people do on social media. Do you have any advice for our folks about uh, social media? Sure. You know, <clears throat> before you file a divorce uh, or you're considering a divorce, <clears throat> you need to look at your social media. You need to cut back the things that you say. I mean, to me, people say things in emails, texts, things they post on the internet, that are, they're, they're just making exhibits. Mm. And uh, pictures. And there's pictures a lot of times, uh, and I mean I can give you an example. Uh, there's a couple that, that getting divorced. He was having an affair, and so he he actually created a new, uh, uh, new like website that had him and the new girlfriend in the party's beach house, kind of I call it grab assing basically. It's like and we're like, what, what? Why did you think that was appropriate? Right. You know? And uh, other times, too, where we had somebody, we had a custody case, uh, and we, we always ask, like, is there anything, you know. Is there anything? Anything because inappropriate. you got to know everything, yeah. right. Is there anything inappropriate? Anything inappropriate on websites or, or social media? And the young lady said no, go through a custody fight, and paralegals started looking around, and, well, there was some inappropriate stuff. Uh, in fact, there was a couple similar websites where she was wearing a lot of very um, scant uh, lingerie, let's just say. Okay. And so when we asked her about it, she said, well, it, uh, I'm a fitness model or something like that. We are like, did you not think about telling us then this in a custody case? Right. A custody, custody case? So, you know, and, and then also to people, um, not only with social media, but people are recording each other they're oh, videotaping wow. each sure, other. Sure, sure. Uh, and like I said, they're putting things in text, emails. Well, they have each other's passwords so they can easily see what's going on there. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and you know, we, I mean, like people, we always call it, the people are making exhibits when they mm -hmm. do stuff. Mm -hmm. And we always tell people, there's several people in particular recently, we were like, before you sit, put something on our family wizard or similar application to communicate with your wife, you probably need to run it by us first. Good advice. Because, you know, several, several of them, and it's kind of the same with text and email, too. It's like, you know, we're so, like, someone gets something and they're going to respond right back. Because they're mad. They're mad. I'm going to make or you yeah. mad or upset or something like that. And it just, it just backfires on them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. These are words of wisdom, ladies and gentlemen, words of wisdom. Jimmy's got a lot of gray hair. He's only 38 years old. Look at the man. Look at what this is Jimmy and I are the same age. Yes. We're, we're young 69-year-olds. Yes. I'm Jimmy, young 69-year-olds. Absolutely. <laughs> but this is really, really, really smart. All right, we're going to stop here, and we're going to have Jimmy back. And when we bring Jimmy back, we're going to talk about more on the, the child side of family law. We'll talk about grandparent rights, and we'll talk about things more focused on uh, the, the, what I would call the softer side of divorce. Not that it's soft, but the things that don't, it's not between the husband and wife per se. 
So if you'll come back, Jimmy, we'd appreciate it. Sure, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Jimmy Vaught's with the Vaught Law Firm here at Austin, Texas. And what's your website? It is... uh, Vaught Law? uh, AustinDivorceLaw.com. That's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. So you can find Jimmy there, V-A-U-G-H-T. Yeah. And I've known him for years, and I really appreciate what he said. I like Jimmy's tone. This is how you do it right. Now, we don't want anybody to get divorced at all. We try to, again, our focus here is to try to really help y'all through life and as really as as well as it can be and with hopefully a Christian perspective on this stuff. So listen to Jimmy's wisdom and take it to heart. And counseling's always available. There are counselors coming out the wazoo. There's probably as many counselors in Austin as there are lawyers in Austin, as there are realtors in Austin, (laughs) a lot of people. So... Get that counseling, yes. fix your marriage, and all that, too. But we appreciate it. And we'll be back with another episode, too. So thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. The State of the Union.